hello and a very warm welcome to episode number three of Owls About Stat, looking at Sheffield Wednesday by numbers. I'm James Marriott from the Wednesday week. Um, we did promise that we were going to do a couple of episodes in a week, which was kind of two, three weeks ago. Um, it's taken us a little bit longer to get around to doing this one because things keep changing. So, um, you know, we've just been kind of hanging on and hanging on and hanging on, but uh, we are finally back. Uh, James Allen from the Owls Americast is with us. And uh, James, you are still in good old blighty at the moment. I am. Yeah, it still gets dark at 4pm and uh, and I still have a lot of beer to work through from, uh, from my Christmas haul. So uh, both, both aspects are great. That's good. Uh, Peter Lerman in Denmark. Peter, you're just telling us just how many new beers you've tried over Christmas. I'm quite proud of you. What was the grand total? Uh, it's actually the month of December, but it's 17. Yeah, the whole month of December counts as Christmas now. You realise that. All right. Okay. I didn't realise now. Sorry. Okay, so um, the the last um, episode of this that we recorded was just after the fans uh, forum, uh, and also obviously just after the sacking of Yoss. Things were still a little bit up in the air about how it was going to play out over the um, the kind of the the days and the weeks that would follow that. Now we've got a little bit more certainty about how things. Um, are going to unfold certainly in terms of dates so um yeah let's kind of take this one by one so first up let's look back at the reign of Jos Luhukai as um Sheffield Wednesday manager and the the I mean the the bear stats look like this he started on the 8th of January last year he left the club on the 21st of December last year so um well just under 12 months 48 games that he presided over, 16 wins, 13 draws, 19 defeats, uh, leaving a win um, uh, win ratio, is that the right, win percentage I think is the right phrase, of 33.33. So, um, I mean, that is absolutely, you know, uh, one third of games that... Um, that that we won under Yoss. Um, uh, Peter, any other stats that you kind of want to bowl in about the uh, the Yoss era? Yeah, if, I mean, if you look at um, <clears throat> at, at his uh, his record, it's it's actually uh, quite close to uh, to a position of like fourteenth or fifteenth in uh, in an average year uh, with the uh, with the points he'd, he'd win with a with a record like that. Um, and he, the, the the funny thing is, he, he when he took us over, he, we were sixteenth uh, with thirty points from twenty six matches, um, and when he left us, we were eighteenth with twenty four points from twenty two matches. So we were actually in a worse state when he left than when he joined us, even though we were at a really low ebb when he when he joined us. So um, yeah, that it's it's not really a, a good rain for him, is it? And and I think the other interesting thing is. Um, if you look at rather than the, the win ratio, if you look at, like, at his points per game, um, you have to go all the way back to Brian Laws uh, for for a, a record as low as as Lukai's, and and to Chris Turner to get a, um, a record even lower than his. Um, and no manager since uh, Chris Turner has um, conceded as many goals on average as as Lukai's uh, winter team uh, has. And finally, he's. Um, 
He was in charge in 40, for 48 matches, as you said, and uh, in those 48 matches, he's used a, a grand total of 38 players, which, um, considering he only signed three, uh, is quite staggering, isn't it? And it tells you something about the uh, the turmoil <laughs> that um, that he joined in, but also left the club in, you could say. Yeah, that does that seems astonishingly high. Thirty-eight in uh, forty-eight games. Have we got kind of a benchmark to compare that to? What what would kind of be average in something like forty-eight games? Um, there's there's some stats talking about about this and 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 um, squatter and what have you. Uh, I think most successful teams uh, tend to not use as many players. Um, Simply because if you win a game, you you're more likely to to pick the, the same team. Um, so I, I don't have a number at hand, um, but I've I've seemed to remember like a, a number for for a full season um, of around twenty five, um, uh, twenty six uh, players for for, right. for most of the teams that are doing well. And, and usually you'll see the teams that aren't doing well um, having um, a larger number simply because they're they're trying to find the uh, the winning formula. The interesting yeah, we thing were, that we'll we... never find in a number, unfortunately, is the number of different formations and team setups that Jos used <laughs> in his uh, in his forty eight games. Right, um, that would yeah. be some real qualitative analysis to uh, to compare to the actual uh, number of players used. But I would imagine it's probably not far off thirty eight, uh, which may explain something about his win percentage as well. And you're actually jumping the gun a bit there, James, because uh, we've uh, we've got a bit of a mailbag uh, from from the first episode with people asking questions. Uh, oh, okay. and, uh, that's, that's one of the questions we'll be looking into. So that's a bit of a primer for, for later in the report. Uh, that's exciting. We'll have a look at that. Um, James, so uh, Jos, actually in his, in, his, in his kind of year in charge, um, only brought three players into the club. So Joey Pagliapesi, who obviously was a permanent signing, two loan signings in Josh Onomar and Michael Hector. Um, and obviously it's, it's kind of been slightly complicated at times with the transfer embargo and stuff like that. So it's, it's probably a little bit unfair to kind of rate him on, um, on the players that he brought in. But, um, what, what do you kind of make of the, the legacy now of, 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 of Yoss? Or do we just write this year off? Forget about it. So I guess there's a generous answer to that, James, and there's a realistic answer. Um, if I start with a realistic answer, and I think we've, We've addressed this a little bit when we we talked uh, on the Wednesday week last week. You know, the reality is we're no far, further forward a year later than we were when he was appointed last January. Um, in fact, as Peter's just pointed out, we're actually at a, 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 probably a, an offset to where we were in the league at the point where he took over. So, you know, it, in real terms, it feels like a year wasted. Um, what I would say, if I'm being generous, is that we will always feel the benefit from the youth that he's blooded. You know, I think one of the things that doesn't convey in the numbers is just how stubborn a manager he was, um, and just how hard he he made decisions and and, and affected players as a result. But because of his commitment to, to bring the youth through, we have several players who are certainly, you know, able to play a role in in, in a championship squad now: Judd Thornley, uh, Cameron Dawson, uh, Matt Penny, etc. And actually, who now have value to the club as well. So. Um, we may not see the benefit of Yosuke's reign at Wednesday for some time, but but it may just be there's a bit of monetary throwback from uh, from the, some of those decisions that he took uh, somewhere down the line. 
Okay, fair enough. Let's um, let's put Yoss to bed. Let's never speak of him again. Let's move on then to um, a very different sort of mini era. So four games with Lee Bullen in charge. Looks like that's going to be pretty much it now in terms of his uh, his caretaker stint in charge of the club. But uh, four games, two wins and two draws. So undefeated for Lee Bullen. Uh, let's kind of look at the numbers then, because uh, Peter, it kind of feels like we've gone from kind of being one of the worst teams in the league to suddenly being one of the best teams in the league. But, I mean, do the stats kind of bear that out at all? Yeah, that's actually not uh, far off the mark. Um, I mean, in, in the first episode we uh, we did, uh, we introduced the term expected goals. Um, and just to be, give, give a quick brush up on, on that term, it's uh, the locations of shots uh, and under what circumstances they're hit, uh, you can you can see what the historical average of shots from that position uh, that end up uh, end up as a goal um, and you can tell you those shots together over uh, over a full game and then you get a, an idea about the quality of chances uh, the team has created uh, and also uh, the quality of chances the team has conceded um, and the interesting thing is uh, under Luhukai we were one of the worst teams in the in the division um, defensively when you look at uh, expected goals under Bolin, in the in the four games uh, just played, if you create a uh, a league table of uh, expected goals um, for the uh, for the last four games, um, our our expected goals against would actually be the uh, the second best of the, uh, the of the championship, which is quite remarkable <laughs> to be uh, to be quite honest. Um, and we've uh, we've we were about tenth in the uh, in the expected goals created, which is also better than under Luhukai. So we've uh, Improved uh, somewhat um, uh, in an attacking sense, sense but there's, it's a, a complete transformation defensively. And I mean, this this uh, this meets the uh, the eye test as well because that's what we've we've been seeing the uh, the stability uh, afforded by by Westwood in goal and uh, and Hutchinson uh, screening the the defence and, and dropping in between the the centre backs uh, to to create stability. And maybe a bit of context helps, Peter, right? Because, you know, we, we talked in the earlier pods about the fact that we weren't really creating chances. But And correct me if I'm not reading the numbers completely correctly, but over the four games that Lee Bullen was in charge, our expected goals uh, was, what, something in the region of about five, six goals over the course of four games? Which yeah. compared to very few people agree with teams who, you know, at least are renowned as being, you know, a little bit more free scoring, not least our city neighbours, um, who had a, an average of about six over the same period. Mm. Um, you look at teams like, you know, Swansea that were maybe creating a little bit more, but Villa are right up there, West Brom, who are the highest scorers in the division at, at roughly the same ratio. So what it's, what it's basically telling you is we've become much more creative in a very short space of time. And then the, the ranking when it comes to goals against is astonishing in terms of the turnaround. Um, you know, from from pretty much the, the leakiest defence in the division to one of the tightest in four games, just speaks volumes about organisation and and deploying our players in in sensible ways. The other thing that I find quite interesting, and and I'm I'm kind of thinking aloud here, following on from what we talked about on the Wednesday week last night, but um, is the 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 difference in terms of the average age of the starting eleven under Bullen and. Um, what significance or otherwise we can place on that? Because th- there's no doubt that the, um, the 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 age of the starting eleven has gone up under Bullen because he's you know he has very much played um, the the more senior players as his first choice. Um, obviously, you know it has led to an improvement of things on the um, on the pitch. So um, 
I, I think we were talking kind of what late twenties has been the um, the average starting age for um, for the West Brom game. Is that right, Peter? Yeah, that's that's about right. Um, and it was uh, it was even higher for the uh, for the Birmingham game because uh, Westwood uh, uh, returned in, in goal, so that alone is about uh, another year. Um, so we we. Uh, it's 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 quite interesting how how you can see, and I, I'm sorry to bring back Will Kai now. You just banished him for forever to the uh, <laughs> to the to the hell <laughs> to which he belongs here in Western history. Um, but uh, before we um, before we hired Will Kai um, last season, um, we had the the third highest average age uh, of of a starting eleven of uh, twenty eight point five. Um, and this season, we actually uh, uh, up until December thirtieth, uh, we actually had the tenth lowest with the uh, twenty six point four um, years of age. Um, so that tells you a lot about how um, he, how he's changed the, the the average age. And and as you said, it's it's a uh, I can't remember the number exactly, but it's it's around uh, probably around twenty eight twenty nine for the uh, for the uh, Birmingham game. Um, so in a sense, you could say we we. We've we've completely transformed the team, but the um, the investment in the in the future of the, of the club that Luhukai was, uh, as you as you mentioned before, James uh, was was trying to do, has been put uh, put aside, uh, you could say, and and um, and some of the players that we're playing now um, that are doing well in in George Board and and, and Westwood, we we really don't know whether they are, they're going to be at the club in in six months' time. Um, so there's an argument to be made that that the uh, the job at hand for the the new manager is to to find a balance between what Poland has has done by by essentially uh, wiping out the uh, the year Luka was in charge and returning to um, to to a known formula and and a known uh, group of, uh, of of players that know each other and, and trust each other, uh, and then trying to to transition in some of the the younger players that Luka desperately tried to 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 mold into a team earlier. Okay, you uh, you referenced the new manager in there, so um, let's talk a bit about Steve Bruce. We did discuss him a little bit in the uh, in the last episode. It was kind of all the all the talk was about uh, Steve Bruce being the guy that's coming in. We now know that he is uh, starts at the beginning of um, February. So um, well, let's look a little bit at his um, managerial career. So he's been managing for just over twenty years now. It was nineteen ninety eight when he took on his um his first job in management he's managed nine clubs in um in that period uh he's won promotion four times he's got an average win percentage of 40.3 um and actually some some of the clubs that he's managed along the the way have got you know really really quite good um records to be fair villa who he left uh, you know, surrounded in a pool of cabbage, um, had a he had a win percentage there of forty five point one, which is um, which is not bad at all for this um, for this level. But obviously, he didn't get them um, he didn't get them promoted. Um, uh, we've had a bit more time to kind of sort of reflect and think about it. We were probably a little bit negative about the appointment of Steve Bruce in the last episode, where we said, you know, we're probably going to be sat here again in a year's time talking about who's going to be. Next, um, any change in that opinion, James? Well, actually, yes. Um, so I mean, I'm, I'm going to try and stick to the numbers here and not get too too deep in kind of the emotive side. Just 
the, the emotion in just a very short form is the fact that you know everything suddenly feels a little bit more exciting about Sheffield Wednesday all over again. You know, we're um, we're we're working with somebody who's won league championships, who knows pretty much anybody there is to know at the top of the game. That that kind of suddenly gives you a buzz about Wednesday. But the the numbers, you know, we, we were a little bit hard maybe on on Bruce in talking about the fact that he. He's a manager who spends, right? His outlay on players at Villa and at Hull and, and, and Pryor is, is pretty high. But I saw some interesting statistics looking at the total amount he invested in, in players at Hull, which, you know, was, was not inconsiderable. It was sort of the 20, 30 million mark. But the return on those players, the, the, the compound value that they sold them for was up in the 50, 60 million mark. So, you know, he, he actually has a record of moving players on and for good fees as well as for, uh, for bringing players in. And, and maybe that gives us a little bit of heart as we think about the challenge ahead for Wednesday and the fact that we do need to get into that wheeling and dealing that we've been talking about and, and maybe move on some, some elements of the squad and, and generate decent money for them. So, so yeah, feeling a little bit more optimistic. I mean, I, I think, you know, that all, all the reservations around the overall forward strategy of the club and whether he fully constitutes that notwithstanding. I think I, I, in listening to the the perspectives of a whole number of people around football, I, I feel more encouraged by just how warmly he's been received. Obviously, the other thing that we uh, that we that we talked about was um, where, well, firstly, where the money's come from to actually bring in a manager like Steve Bruce. Um, I think, you know, a month ago, I was one of those people saying, I don't think it's realistic. I don't think he's in the the kind of the 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 right sort of ballpark that we can be affording to uh, to bring into the club. But I, evidently, I was wrong. Uh, but there's still this talk about him having some money to spend in 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 January, um, and you know having a lot of say, possibly complete control over um, over transfers. We've had a, a bit of time to reflect on this, so there's been a bit of well, there's been a lot of talk about it on Twitter. Um, and I think you know we we did our best to put forward the the possible scenarios that maybe don't include selling a player or selling multiple players uh, in the transfer window on the last um, podcast. Um, uh, Peter, has uh, have you had kind of like a eureka moment where you've just thought, oh, I know what we can do. This will be what they're doing. This is how we're going to raise twenty million to spend on players. I haven't no. Uh I think what we're seeing now is um is really desperation um rather than than hope. Uh because I think the strategy here is hope and, and as they usually say, hope isn't the strategy. Um and Chanchiri by the sounds also by, by what uh Dumhausen wrote wrote today in in the start, um from it sounds like he's he's getting fed some information from from the club on what Chanchiri thinks and and what he what he wants to demonstrate with the appointment of Bruce that he thinks he can still get pro- win, win promotion this season and get it to the playoffs um so i think what what Chancery is really doing here is is saying yeah no we're over we're way over the uh, the, the limit of profitability and sustainability that we we're allowed to do and as we've discussed before it's about 15 million that we we're, we're in the wrong um, but he's probably thinking, uh, well, I'm going to chuck some more money at it, and yeah, we're going to have a a, a big um, a big breach of uh, of the of the PNS uh, loss limit. But um, he's probably thinking, if I don't win promotion, I can sell some players in the summer, um, and maybe not reduce the uh, the the breach to uh, to to a non-breach, but maybe reduce it somewhat so he can uh, perhaps escape with a transfer embargo for. Say two or three windows, um, 
maybe a, a small points deduction um, and so on. But it's uh, the, the way I see it, it's not really a strategy. It's 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 more um, it's it's a hail mary pass. It's it's a it's desperate. Um, it's going into the casino and putting everything on black and and, and hoping it, it it turns out right. Um, and actually, if you if you look at the what the bookmakers are saying, the the odds of, of us winning promotion is about one hundred and fifty to one. So it's it's a lot harder than than putting everything on black. Actually, um, the the thing is, Birmingham are due. Um, some reports say they're due uh, for due a disciplinary hearing uh, in February. Um, the club themselves haven't confirmed that. Um, but it's been speculated that they'll be deducted somewhere between ten and fifteen points. Um, could be as low as six. Um, it's it's hard to say, but they're they're, they're different uh, conflicting reports, and the and the and Birmingham are remaining very tight-lipped about it. Um, the thing is, Birmingham's breach uh, last season uh, that they're being punished for will be small scale compared to the breach we'll be uh, we'll be doing. They they probably. Uh, Put some dents into the car, but whereas we will we'll be crashing through the uh, the store window um, uh, as a comparison. Um, so let, let's say Birmingham end up with a points deduction uh, penalty of ten points um, for a, a small breach, and we do a, a, a big breach because Tenshiro refuses to sell players or we can't move them on or whatever happens in the summer. Uh, we could be looking at a, a large points deduction, and um, it would probably be uh, this season. Um, and I mean, if we end up at, on 60 points and we get a points deduction of, let's say, 15 points, that's us flirting with relegation all of a sudden. Um, so it's, I, I really think it's, it's ill advised what he's doing. Uh, and I really can't get my hand around it. I really, 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 really hope that someone at the club has figured out some way around the rules or they know that the rules are about to be changed because they've uh, managed to convince uh, uh, enough clubs to change the uh, the rules because uh, there is uh, some added pressure on the on on the EFL uh, also over the, uh, the the recent TV deal and, and what have you. So that might be the the the, the, the I wouldn't say strategy, but the <laughs> but the sketch of what Chancery is thinking that um, to hell with it. I'm going to give it a go, and if it doesn't work out, uh, well, we'll try to save the scraps and and and. Try to reduce the, the the hurt that it's, it's going to produce. But so, so, Peter, I wonder if I could almost like just posit a devil's advocate position for a second, um, because I I think if if we followed the trajectory of of everything that we've discussed on this podcast over over the past year um, and the numbers we've been analysing, it, it's very hard to escape the conclusion that you've just outlined, right? Which is that you know we know that we have a substantive gap to make up in terms of income. That income isn't realized unless we sell players. Um, what's being promised is spending more money, which expands the gap. And yeah, we, we end up in a very, very bad place with, uh, with PNS. But somewhere between last week when we recorded the, the kind of the update post the forum and, and this weekend, this may just be the benefit of too much peak district air while I've been running around the hills of Sheffield. I was kind of thinking, would, would Steve Bruce have accepted this role if the consequences of this breach are as likely and as profound as we're describing. Um, and and I, I just kind of raise that question because, you know, we know that we're not a party to all the facts. And I think a couple of the illusions that you just raised, you know, possible changes in the rules, possible uh, maneuverings behind the scenes, you just have to leave open the possibility that there is some 
mechanism, some maneuvering that that means that Wednesday have have a route, a possible route to to resolution here. Because I just I can't believe he would commit himself to this club if he didn't think this was going to be a project that he could succeed at. Um, whether that be you know taking a certain position this year and then being in a position for recovery next. Um, but when we talk about noted uh, journalists referring confidently to the fact that there are funds available for him, um, that suggests the ability to spend those funds. So th- there's something in the equation that doesn't quite add up. Um, and I'm just leaving open the possibility that, that maybe we, you know, maybe there's a little bit more hope uh, out there than we, we necessarily realise. I, I, don't, I don't know whether that in any way resonates with the two of you or whether I've just been taking too much amount of nether last week. No, I think you make a fair. Uh, uh, it, it's it's fair. I, I, I'm the same. Where I've sat and thought, well, it can't actually be as bad as we think it could be because, you know, the the warning signs have been there for ages. We'd surely have come up with a a better solution to this, and we wouldn't now be talking about, um, you know, it's, it, as as Peter said, you know, it's putting everything on on black when we've already put everything on black. We've got nothing left. We're now, you know, we've taken off all our jewellery. We're down to our underpants. We're now betting with, you know, the the scraps that we've got left. And and basically, we're just going to go and nick some money off someone else now and start putting that on black instead. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I totally see where you're coming from. And and I've had similar thoughts, which is, you know, we we are. As as we are at pains to point out every time, none of us are experts in this field. Um, you know, l- least of all me. You guys have a, a much better and firmer understanding of all this than I do. You know, maybe we've just done all the sums wrong somewhere along the line, or um, that you know, maybe maybe there's a huge big loophole that we've that we've not kind of looked at and not considered. Um, and, and there's going to be some way of being able to, to do it. Or maybe when they talk about money being available, that maybe we're really talking about a little bit of money. And maybe if the shortfall is not as big as we thought it was, then, you know, it's still something that we can balance. Or maybe we're actually going to sell players and, and, and you know, it's, it's all going to kind of work its way through that, that scenario that, that you talked about there, Peter. I mean, that is just absolute that, that is, that's the stuff of nightmares, you know, that kind of just, let let's have one last go at this in the hope we can get into the Premier League and um you know if we get a huge points deduction a transfer embargo for two or three windows you know that that's this stuff's just this is this is just awful if um if that's the case we've we've got to cling on to some kind of hope that that can't be that can't be what's about to unfold peter can i i need to revisit something that we we did talk about last time but it's coming around again and again a lot of people saying it uh, and that is this idea of something involving the stadium now i know that we we kind of looked at this idea of him kind of selling the stadium to himself or to his family um you know let's say that there's absolutely no suggestion that this is going to happen but i'm 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 plucking this as an example because it's happened elsewhere. Let's say that Sheffield Wednesday come to some kind of deal where they sell the stadium to the council and rent it back. How does that work with um, PNS accounts? Well, I think uh, James covered it quite well last time. Um, it just it would it would be it would be creating um, um, a windfall for this season, but it, the, the income we get this season would disappear next season. So you're right back at square one unless you reduce your cost significantly because then you're, you're missing that income next season. Um, and then you have to, on top of that, you have to pay the expenses um, of, the, of the rent. Um, and, uh, I mean, if, if we look at other countries uh, like uh, um, uh, Real Madrid, they have um, 
they've been bailed out a lot of times by by the local council in Madrid uh, that bought that uh, training ground for like, a, a fortune and then sold it back to them for 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 one euro and stuff like that. But it's not likely that you that you'll see that done by the uh, by the Sheffield uh, City Council, is it? Um, so that only leaves the other option that, that another company um, or a bank or someone will, will come in and, and, and say that they want to take this on. Um, the thing is, we, we discussed, this, discussed this last time as well, Bournemouth uh, did something like this, um, sold the stadium and leased it back. But they actually won out of the deal again because it's a bad deal. Because uh, if you want, it's it's uh, it could be a risky situation for the investor, so they, they'll want a big return on it. and. So over a time period, you, you're actually losing more money than, than you're gaining. So, um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, as you were saying, it's, it's, uh, taking off the underpants and uh, putting it on, on the poker table. Um, and, and once they're gone, then you've got nothing on. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I really can't see it, to be honest, um, that it would in any way work. Um, and again, if, if, if it's a clear loophole, but by any means, if you look at what how the clubs acted uh, financially, organisationally uh, over the over the Chen period, we've not been to be kind. We've not been the most professionally run club. Um, so you'd expect other clubs that are a lot more professionally run to have spotted these loopholes, supposed loopholes that we would have spotted uh, in in the best of all situations, uh, and and trying to 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 abuse to now abuse. But they haven't. Uh, I mean, there are Derby have done some some uh, back and forth with different company construct, uh, constructions uh, and structures and what have you. But that is uh, again, it's the margins they're moving at. It's it's not it's not a, a, a big money sums that they're moving around. Uh, and and the actual fact is, fact is uh, not this uh, last fans forum, but the one before that, the club themselves said to to stay within the uh, PNS limit. But in this season, we have to break even, um, and that's where the the fifty million pounds uh, 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 areas that I, I keep referring to are coming from, because it's Klopp himself saying it, and they said that back in, uh, I think it was back in October, the last uh, fans forum um, or September, can't remember for certain now. But I mean, nothing has really changed between then and now uh, with regards to to, to income. Uh, Probably the income is is worse than it has been because of uh, of falling gates uh, during the, uh, the the era of, of Luukai. So I, I really hope you guys are right. I, I really hope it. And it's 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 a similar situation to what we've been discussing before. That that uh, it it looks grim when you look at the numbers, but but you dearly hope that you're wrong. So I I, I have just one little conspiracy theory for you, and I'm 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 going to be completely honest. I. I, I'm literally the world's worst person for conspiracy theorists because I spend most of my time shooting them down. But but this is one that I've played through in my mind and which actually stands up, at least in the short term. So you're absolutely right, Peter. A sale and leaseback arrangement for, for Hillsborough doesn't work because the the value that we would sell the, the land for, um, you know, essentially for the continuing operation of, a, of an ageing football stadium, isn't particularly high. And the you know the the income that it would generate wouldn't close the gap. The costs we would incur would would be on a rolling basis. It it just wouldn't it wouldn't be material enough to to make a difference. But play through a scenario in which we sell the land for an alternative use, and all of a sudden the land value increases. Um, if you're talking about retail or if you're talking about accommodation or or otherwise, now that would be about as unpopular as you could possibly imagine. It would be a long-term commitment to move away from Hillsborough, but it would potentially yield short-term income 
of a higher order, which would then give the club options in terms of its its long term strategy. But that's the only way in my mind that I can see a deal involving the stadium that would actually be material enough to actually you know have impact on the PNS in the short term. Um, but I talk about lighting a match on a tinderbox. That would be one of the most unpopular things you could possibly do without consulting the fan base before going ahead. Yeah, and the other thing is, if the land was that valuable for the use, why is the uh, Wednesday at car park laying bare? It's right next to the stadium, isn't it? So it's, I mean, the the, the value of the land around around Hillsborough isn't isn't great, is it? So the, 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 these are reasonable points, although you could point to park views from you know nice apartments that are built either in the style of Highbury down in Islington. Um, Clearly, Hillsborough is not Islington, but but it's still a nice area in Sheffield. So, like like I said, it doesn't necessarily stand up, but it's it's the only way I can see that a stadium deal actually generates the revenue we would need. Okay, um, we'll we'll you know between us, we'll keep thinking, keep trying to come up with some ideas, and let's hope in the meantime that the the club decide that they're going to be a bit more transparent about um, kind of what's going on financially and how we're. Um, you know, funding any arrivals during January. Worth mentioning, of course, at the moment, we haven't spent any money during January. So, um, you know, there's still, we're, we're kind of talking about uh, this as if we've committed to spending millions, which we haven't. Um, it, it may just be uh, a bit of a uh, bit of bravado from the chairman, but um, I guess we'll see. Uh, right, okay, let's move on then. And um, well, let's just have a bit of a look at um, 2018 overall, because we've, we've kind of touched on um the 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 final stats for Yoss, which to be honest are pretty much the final stats for um for Sheffield Wednesday for uh for the season. Um Peter, anything else from twenty eighteen from 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 your side that really kind of stands out? Uh yeah the the um the long term uh, I think we talked about this before the long term uh, trend in uh, the the um so called expected goals uh, numbers um just deteriorating <laughs> over the year. It was, it was bad already. And then it just kept deteriorating, um, as the year went on. Um, and now we're finally seeing, uh, a very drastic, um, a change in, in a positive direction, but it's, we've, we've been performing like a, a team, um, in, in a relegation zone for, for the best part of a year. Uh, even when we're doing really well, and we've covered this before, even when we're doing really well um, at the the end of last season, uh, we were over overperforming the uh, the chances we were creating, and and um, and there might be something something in the the teams that we were playing didn't have much to play for, and, and all those factors that that you can always point to. Um, but I, I, I mean, twenty <laughs> twenty seventeen was was uh, was the budget one hundred fiftieth. Anniversary uh, celebration, and in some ways, you could say we, we didn't expect uh, a year could be worse than 2017. But uh, 2018 just stepped up to the plate and, and did the job, didn't it? Um, so uh, thankfully, we had a, a good end to the year. Um, and I mean, uh, there, there is there is some hope now, and I, I totally agree with the, what James said before that we it's actually interesting to, to to watch us play again and and you got that uh, mojo back uh, about being a, a Winston fan again which is remarkable considering how depressed we were all uh, uh, at being a Winston fan uh, just uh, just less than a month ago um so i mean that if, if things can change that quickly then then hopefully the trajectory of, of change continues but 2018 was uh, was was a bit like uh, a total write off I'm, I'm I'm quite glad that um, that we finished that little segment 
with a bit of positivity because um you know i think um we're, we're often accused of kind of coming across a bit negative which was never the intention of of this podcast it's just as we said before kind of coincided with us not having the best year in the uh in the history of the club but there is no way of sugarcoating it it has been a bit of a nightmare but the good thing is it's gone um you know we're unbeaten in four we're unbeaten in 2019 i accept there's only one game but you know there we go uh, right let's move on then let's um let's move on to stat of the month now if you remember this we didn't do it in episode two because it wasn't kind of a normal episode we did it in episode one where each of the three of us um puts forward our kind of favorite stat from the last month i must I, i'll kind of confess I've, I've slightly cheated here in terms of the fact that my stat is not particularly relevant to the last month uh but it kind of is relevant to the last month you'll see what i mean um james do you want to um do you want to go first this is a bit like last month isn't it james whereby uh you you let peter and i go first saying that your stat isn't that great and then it turns yep. out your stats really good yeah um so i guess i'm setting myself up for a four by going first uh yes so my stat is uh 15 in 15 um which I'll, I'll I'll let both of you hazard a guess as to what I'm referring to. Fifteen in fifteen, um, something to do with the number of games that we've won while um, George oh, Boyd's had a beard. It's Boxing Day, isn't it? I don't know how many Boxing Days George Boyd has had a beard, but but you're both way off. <laughs> it's um. It's the number of pints that you can pull in 15 minutes in the grandstand bar, apparently. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I, I raise this because it's topical and because I was at the, uh, I was at the Birmingham game on New Year's Day and I, uh, I was being also, I was being effusive in my praise of the team after an absolutely excellent first half, which, um, you know, just to kind of pick up on the previous point was as an enjoyable as a 45 minutes of watching football at Hillsborough as I can remember in a long time, probably going back to Brighton in the playoffs. Um, and then me and my dad went downstairs for a pint and, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was then sort of being rocked back into commercial reality as we stood in this queue of, uh, of about five people who were, were ordering, you know, roughly about three pints a piece. So 15 to 15 might be a slight stretch, but it took the entirety of the half for those pints to be poured. And the reason why I raised the, the stat is because it actually has a little bit of a contribution towards our PNS conversation. So, you know, I put this tweet out lamenting this and, and the amount of reaction it got from around the fan base, unsurprisingly considering the hot water issues in the North Stand, uh, was, uh, was pretty profound. Um, Wednesday are missing a trick commercially if we can't simply serve beer to football fans um, when football fans want it in timely fashion and in reasonable quantities so we make a little bit of revenue in the stands. Um, so my my ask to Wednesday, if if they're listening, is go out and look at a few commercially reputable football stadiums or sports stadiums and, and realise that there are many ways of doing that in a far more efficient way. And uh, you'll have a lot of happy Wednesday nights on your hands. It's not really complicated. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I was actually chatting, you know, in the uh, in the north stand, so the lower bit of the north stand, they've got those different suites that are named after rivers. So there's like the Rivland suite and you know, all those different things that are just basically rooms um, built under the bottom few uh, rows of stairs that I, I assume are just used for storage or something. I'm like, why do we not build some new bars in those? And then we can serve... You know, have like a bottle bar and stuff like that. Anyway, going off topic, but um, I thought that was relevant. Uh, Peter, what is your stat of the month? Yeah, a bit like you. I'm, I'm not going to focus on, on the month, but uh, on, on the time ahead, because uh, as you said, um, we've been accused of being depressing. And uh, there was even a guy who said, uh, I 
apparently enticed people to to suicide with the stuff I was saying. So I'm trying to remain positive here, but but I'll I'll focus on on our new manager. Um, and there's a website called uh, Transfermarkt, which is a German website um, also used by by agents and and uh, football clubs, uh, which try to to do the uh, the transfer fees and transfer values of of a lot of players. Some of the stuff is a bit off, but most of it is it really checks out. So. The interesting number I'm going to throw out there is uh, 305 million pounds, and uh, I'll, I'll, a bit like you, I'll, I'll give, let, let you uh, guess what what that number is. That's got to be something to do with. Uh, it's got to be to do with money with Steve Bruce either spent or uh, is it the net profit on players that he's bought and sold? It's the uh, the former. Uh, I don't actually have the net profit, um, but I have what he has spent. So he's in his career as a manager, he's spent three hundred and five million pounds um, on players. Uh, and there's, there's an, on isn't... cabbages. Can I ask that? Do we know how much he spent? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, he did buy Shane Long and um, and Robert Snodgrass, didn't he? So, so I guess that's <laughs> that tells you a bit about his uh, his eye for a player, uh, but. I mean, it's it's just uh, interesting. Uh, I, f- I find because he he definitely needs uh, needs to buy players, and it's, it's an excellent point you made before, James, that he um, that he also manages to sell them on for profit. Uh, some of the players, at least, um, but he needs that initial um, investment probably in the in the playing squad to be able to move some of them them on again. And if he buys a player now, and, and we have to wait two years before we can can sell them uh, at a profit, we don't really have the time financially. So. It's just a. It, I thought it was an interesting number because it it tells you uh, something about Steve Bruce's uh, managerial style, and he he really uh, he really changes the squads he he inherits, um, and he'll be looking to do the same at ours. Okay, good stuff. Um, all right, so my start again is as, as I mentioned, it's kind of this is a more of a general statistic, and I'll be absolutely amazed if anyone gets this. I might have to give you a clue to help you. So it's three point one in one hundred. I can I can give a clue if uh, if it's needed. Yeah, we, we will need that. All right. Is that three point one time George Boyd has stayed stood up in a hundred runs down the right wing? <laughs> and they were all they were all in the uh, Birmingham game. Uh, right. So three point one grams in one hundred grams. I'm worried about the direction this is going now. Is this a controversial uh, dressing room secret? I've got it. That's mushrooms. It Think is mushrooms. mushrooms. Yeah. It's the oh, yeah. amount of protein that is in mushrooms. Three point one grams in every uh, in every one hundred grams of uh, mushroom, which would actually give you six percent of your uh, daily recommended allowance of uh, protein, or what you should be having in in a day. So actually, I wonder whether or not Yoss was onto something with the fact that mushrooms, in terms of their nutritional value. Not really that high. 6% in one portion. It's not that much. Dreadful p- protein-to-carb ratio as well, I should imagine. Carbs are the same, by the way, 3.3 grams. Uh, oh, so it's only one-to-one, uh, one, basically. Oh, yeah, that's, that's useless as a recovery fuel. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, right, okay, so that is our stats of the month. Um, now, our, our new feature now that we're up and running, which is uh, your opportunity as our... Uh, listeners to fire your questions at our 
our true resident expert. So this is a bit where me and James can put our feet up for a little bit because this is Ask Peter, where you get the chance to uh, fire any questions that you want, at Peter, on Twitter over the course of the month. And um, I, I guess that Peter tries to rattle through as many as uh, as possible. Now, I've, I've not seen any of these questions. I don't know if James has uh, either. So um, I'm quite intrigued, Peter, as to uh, what you've what you've had come flooding in on Twitter over the course of the last few weeks. Yeah, it's been really great with the uh, with the feedback. Um, and I mean, we asked for it last time, and uh, it's been great to see people uh, uh, asking questions and uh, having interesting uh, points of, uh, of views on 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 what stats we they wanted us to look at. Um, I'm just going to rattle through them um, as as well as I can. Um, um, at Matt RPSWSC uh, asked whether possession what what stat we find the most flawed. Um, which are the most accurate, and he mentions that he, he thinks possession is is a bit useless, and and I t- I totally agree. Uh, possession stats don't tell you much about uh, teams because um, in general teams that are that are good keep the ball because they're good, not because they have a lot of uh, possession. Yeah, and I mean Reading. There's another thing with possession that uh, people uh, often confuse. Uh, Teams that have a lot of possession with teams that are that are good and and good uh, uh, that play good football and 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 are nice to watch. Um, Reading, remember Reading in 2016-17, Yapstam's uh, Reading, they had 57% possession on average, uh, the third highest in, in in the championship. And I don't think I, I offend anyone if if I, I say they were probably the most boring football team anyone's ever watched play football. So uh, possession out of the window. Um. At Gledbot uh, asks whether um, uh, Stephen Fletcher only scores difficult goals and, and not the easy ones, um, and that's actually a, a, a nice way of, uh, of, of uh, that's a nice way of, of uh, examining that, and that's looking at the uh, the expected goals value of the of the goals that Stephen Fletcher scored. Um, and while he's been with us, he scored fifteen uh, non-penalty goals, um, and actually nine of those fifteen. Non-penalty goals have had a probability of being a goal lower than ten percent. That is, uh, an average player would only score that goal one out of ten times. So there's actually something to it that uh, Fletcher scores difficult goals. And uh, I mean, we saw the last uh, in our last game, he he, he did similar. Um, at Aaron Johnson uh, asks um, whether. Our transfer strategy has been uh, successful over the years, and do we have how have we done in the transfer market? How have the players we've uh, had how have they done after they've left us? Um, have they gone on to better things? Um, and again, I'm going to use uh, transfer market's um, values here, and, and uh, it's it's a bit of a tough question to answer. But if we look at transfer uh, transfer market, you can you can look at their that transfer value after leaving us. And, and actually, the only two players I could find that after leaving us increased their, their value quite uh, significantly has been uh, Mikhail Antonio and, uh, and Chris Brunt. Uh And that's a long time ago, isn't it? And it really underlines, for me, underlines how poor we've been at developing players. Um, and and the only players that have been at ours and 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 gone on to better things have been been loan players. But that's I mean that's part of the course because they were always always going to be or oh, more likely to be to be better after playing for us and than than other players. So I think that's quite interesting actually how how bad we are at creating value with the players we buy. 
um, especially because, as we've discussed at length uh, in, in in the parts we've done on on uh, on the FFP situation, uh, that we need to to start um, thinking of of uh, our playing squad as, uh, as as something that needs to to uh, be dynamic, and we need to move players on to to fund new players and and have a steady flow of of uh, of, of players in and out of the club. So we um, so so we and we fund that. Um, at Scott underscore H two uh, asked whether um, our playing uh, record uh, under Jos Lukai um, with a back four was worse than with uh, with a non back four, and um, and actually yes, that is the case. Um, when we played with a back four in this season, uh, that was twelve matches uh, that, that Lukai played with a with a back four. Uh, we actually conceded uh, twenty seven goals, and we only got. 0.83 points per game, uh, whereas in the, the 10 matches we played with three defenders, uh, or five defenders, depending on how we define it, uh, with three centre-backs, uh, we only conceded 13 goals and we got 1.4 points per game, so that's a market difference. Um, and the interesting thing is that we're, we're now playing a, a back four with uh, with Lee Bullen, but it's a very different back four, isn't it, um, with uh, Hutchinson dropping into the, the back line, so... yeah. So, so we can actually see a difference in, in how we, we're setting up, and um, um, and the and following on from that question, uh, at Waddles Mollets, uh, great username by the way, uh, asks whether Jos uh, Lukai changed his uh, his team too much, um, and there are actually stats to back this up, and I was quite astonished by 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 it when I looked at it. Um, WhoScored.com does uh, formations uh, numbers, uh, you know, for Fortune and so on uh, of every game uh, in a season. And this season alone, in the 22 games that Luca was in charge, we used 10 different formations. Uh, I was I was amazed at that. Uh, under Cavall, it was only something like three or four uh, in a season, I think. Uh, and and we, we pretty much stuck to the same formation most of the time. I found that astonishing, to be wow. to be honest. I, I don't think I can even name ten formations. Like, <laughs> are, there any, are there enough players on the pitch to have ten different formations? How is that possible? That's crazy. But you can start with one where you don't play a striker. Uh, that was last yeah, year, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah, but that was yeah, I was astonished by that when I looked into it, um, and I've not done any uh, like uh, benchmark of other teams how they how they have they done, but I've, I would imagine that we we. Will definitely be be one of the highest teams in, in the division for that. Um, then the uh, at the revelator uh, asks um, whether we could do like a comparison and uh, of, of players and then also look at, at what he calls underrated players and and players that come in for a lot of stick. Um, uh, players like Liam Palmer, um, Fox, and uh, and and uh, Joey Pelopesi. And uh, I've actually looked at the uh, the difference between uh, Pelopesi and, and Sam Hutchinson because uh, Pelopesi, in, in some ways, was brought in uh, to play the Hutchinson role. But if you look at the numbers of the, of the two players uh, over their careers at Wednesday, um, Pelopesi is actually a different player to, to Hutchinson uh, and quite different too. Um, he's more creative in that he uh, creates more key passes and, and assists um, uh, per game than, than Hutchinson does. He hits fewer longer passes. Um, he has fewer passes overall, and and his short passes are more precise than Hutchinson's. Um, he enters into fewer uh, uh, aerial battles, and he, he loses more of them. Um, he has a lot more unsuccessful touches, um, and 
He has more shots, but also a very uh, low uh, conversion. Um, uh, and he blocks a lot fewer shots, uh, but also fewer crosses and passes. Again, you can see, see Hutchinson's uh, ability to to cover here. Um, he only clears the ball half the time, uh, half the amount that, that Hutchinson does. Uh, and surprise, surprise, he gets a lot fewer yellow cards and, and red cards. Um, he, he's only actually fouled half as much as Sam Hutchinson. So, uh, and the and the really interesting thing is he actually only commits the same number. Of, uh, he actually commits the same number of fouls as, uh, as Hutchinson. Um, uh, you'd, you'd probably expect it to be uh, to be Hutchinson to have a lot more fouls, but um, but there you go. Um, Pelopesi only has half the the number of interceptions that Hutchinson has. Um, again, it's not it's not one number that tells you something, but I think that's a really interesting. If you couple that with the uh, the the, the low amount of uh, of block shots, a lot fewer block shots, um, and also that he's triple passed uh, twice as much as uh, Hutchinson has been, uh, and that he enters into fewer tackles and has a lower success rate with the tackles he enters into. Uh, we've actually been, probably been been casting Pelopesu into the wrong role, um, and uh, it was interesting that he came onto the pitch um, when Reed had to go off at uh, at West Bromwich, and um, and he came onto the pitch and, and played in a different role because Hutchinson was now screening the defence, uh, and he played a lovely ball over the top for for, for Bannon, and he he. He he did probably the most often he's he's uh, he's more natural at in, in that game than he's he's done before. So so maybe Hutchinson coming back uh, gives us not just Hutchinson uh, the really good player, but also improves Pelopesi as a player because he doesn't have to do stuff that he's not as good at as uh, as Hutchinson is. So um so I find found that interesting as well. And um, I think that just about wraps up the uh, the uh, the mailbag for this time. But um but that's uh, that's that's about it. Thank you. If you want to uh, submit a question for us to look at, I say us, uh, for Peter to look at next time around, uh, drop us a tweet at OwlsAboutStat. Um, right, next up, James, um, coming to you for uh, On This Day In. When are you taking us back to today? Uh, you know what? I, I was kind of, uh, I was feeling a bit... Um reflective over the christmas holidays um mostly because it's you know it's dark in in uk uh parlance pretty much 67 percent of the time so so i guess you kind of have you have to kind of you know think about the world in slightly different uh ways to which you would if you're in a, a part of the world that actually has normal daylight um but no i'm taking you all the way back to uh 1959 um the middle of the last century uh which is actually 60 years ago today so 3rd of january 1959 and um, this is triggered by uh, a little comment my dad made to me at the Birmingham game. I alluded to the fact I went with him earlier on. Um, and he said to me, you know what? It's uh, it's 60 years ago this week, James, that I came to Hillsborough for the first time. I thought, 60 years? That's a bloody long time to watch depressing, useless football. <laughs> um, but I thought I'd do a little bit of research about that first game. So, uh, so I dug into it. And uh, on the 3rd of January 1959, 60 years ago tonight, um, Sheffield Wednesday um, beat Ipswich Town 3-1 at Hillsborough with uh, with goals from Alan Finney, um, Roy, uh, what's his name, Roy Shiner, and the eternally uh, loved Redfern Frobbit. Um, but that that season really bears some uh, some reflection because it's one of Wednesday's most successful seasons in history. Um, it's a season that we uh, we romped to the Division Two title. Um, 
Uh, we ended up with 62 points back in an era when you only got two points for a win. So if you multiply that out, we'd have got 90 points over the same uh, season with today's uh, today's math, um, which makes it pretty much um, you know unparalleled in terms of uh, of Wednesday's performance. And then it in, opened up an era in which uh, in the early 60s Wednesday were a real real force in uh, in British football. I think we finished uh, we finished third, second, sixth, 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 and eighth in the the uh, the 1966. Uh, FA Cup final, which obviously went a bit pear shaped, but um, a really amazing era for uh, for Sheffield Wednesday, and and it probably explains why my dad got hooked, and then basically put me in the situation where I got to be uh, punished for that thirty years later on. <laughs> um, but it was uh, you know a real reflection on the fact that we we go through these ebbs and flows in Wednesday fandom, but there have been some amazing times in the past, and uh, and hopefully there will be again. Um, but the one thing I wanted to pull out from a stats point of view was that season, um, over the course of, uh, of 42 games, we scored 106 goals, um, which is, um, you know, wow. uh, something that's uh, championed on the other side of the city as, uh, you know, the centenary uh, year of goal scoring. Well, um, Wednesday weren't, uh, weren't too far behind in that season. So a few things in the past that we should, uh, should reflect on and enjoy this time of year. And then let's look forward to the future with a little bit of optimism. Good stuff. Thank you, James. So the conclusion of that, by the way, is you're saying that what we're going to get promoted this season with 90 points. That's definitely going to happen. That's what you're saying. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the bit that I heard from that. Yeah. Which is entirely uh, plausible because over the course of that season, we, uh, in, in modern football point scoring accumulated, uh, adjusted terms, we, uh, we racked up 2.114 points per game. So if we do that over the second half of the season, we might just scrape the playoffs. Brilliant. Fantastic. That's it. I'm sold. Great. All is good with the world. Uh, right. Let's do a little bit of looking ahead. Uh, obviously, we've done a lot of looking backwards. Uh, we've got that kind of busy Christmas period out of the way. Um, I've got to say, I, I was quite worried going into kind of Christmas and New Year that we could be, you know, sitting down the beginning of January, genuinely looking at a, 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 our club being in the relegation zone. So I think the fact that, um, you know, taking eight points from those um, four games um, and the league table looking a lot more healthy is um, is, is is very nice, uh, but let's look at what's coming up now. Obviously, this weekend is is FA Cup, um, so um, you know we can kind of put that to to, to to one side. But I know Peter, you tweeted the other day about our our run of league games. Once we've certainly got the whole fixture out of the way, because they're banging form at the moment, and that's our next our next league game. Um, but there's a, a a run of games after that that you feel will probably suit us pretty well. Yeah, um, we've got Wigan at home, Brentford at home, Ipswich away, Reading at home, Millwall away, Rotherham away, uh, and then we then we head into to a more tricky. Uh, uh, time of year, but I mean those fixtures alone. Uh, six of those um, seven teams uh, are actually below us on the table, um, and between them, the, these six teams have only had four wins from the last twenty-four matches, and, and three of those wins have actually been been Millwalls, who've uh, have had a bit of a renaissance uh, of late. But all these teams are teams you'd say. Uh, even on the Lulkai, you'd, you'd probably go into the game hoping, or at least well, not expecting, but maybe hoping that we win. But with the uh, with the, t- the turnover, turnaround in form we've we've seen under under Lee Bullen and and uh, a new manager coming in, or at least his assistants uh, at, at first, um, this could be the best possible start to the year um, with with games like this. We're gonna have really gone off the boil. Brentford have have. Uh, Actually played quite well this season, but have just struggled to to put points on the board and and have been, looked quite fragile since Dean Smith left them. Ipswich are 
this season's uh, Rotherham of, uh, of a few years ago. They, they're completely out of sorts. Reading have uh, been dropping towards the, uh, the drop zone as well. Uh, and as I said, Millwall have, have actually had a bit of a renaissance uh, uh, of late. But, um, but uh, again, a team um, we've, we've done reasonably uh, well against in the past and we've, that we could probably see is do well against again, uh, uh, considering how we're playing uh, just, uh, just now. And then, uh, obviously, uh, uh, our so-called rivals, uh, Rotherham, uh, away. It's a tricky derby game and all that, but um, Rotherham are, are a better team than, than the, uh, the sum of their, their parts. But but again, a, a team that we we probably um, expect or hope to to beat even even away from home. So there's there's a point to be made that that all these uh, all these games could actually be uh, be won. Um, I mean, the whole game is is uh, is is really tricky, as you say. They're in really good form, and, and hopefully they have. Uh, uh, one or two of their best players poached by by bigger bigger clubs before we play them, but but uh, that's uh, that's probably too hopeful. But it, it, we could we could actually be looking at at a, a, a really good cushion of uh, of points uh, over the next uh, month or two. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, by the way, but uh, chances are that Brentford game won't happen because um, obviously we've got Luton in the cup on Saturday at home. Brentford have Oxford at home in the Cup on Saturday. If either of us win um, our third round game, then that would be the weekend of the fourth round. Sure. So um, I, I would guess it's fairly unlikely that Brentford game will be happening. So that'll be pushed back to a little bit later on in the season, but might still fall within that kind of period of um, of, of you know kind of games that that look you know quite quite winnable for us on um, on paper. Uh, right. Okay. That's um, yeah. I think that's pretty much going to wrap us up then for. Um, for episode two of Owls About Stats. Um, don't forget, you can uh, find us on Twitter uh, at Owls About Stat. Um, James, give us give us your um, Twitter. And also, I mean, obviously, you've been over for um, a few weeks. You've seen a few games. Great to go down to, uh, to West Brom with you. But just off the back of that, just remind us as well, how many years it is now since you've seen Wednesday win away, if you would do, please? <laughs> You know, James, sometimes when I go through an away day with you, I kind of assume you won't remember what we talked about, but but it seems that your mind is sharper than sometimes it appears. Um, yeah, so my Twitter handle is at Manhattan Owl, uh, but I may adjust it shortly to at I haven't seen an away win for 20 years, um, which is entirely accurate because the last away win I saw was in 1998, 99, um, Everton away in which we won 2-1 and Benito Carboni scored twice. So, um, yeah, I've got a little bit of work to do on that front. Uh, I do keep on trying. I mean, I've been really ramping up my away day appearances over the last couple of years, but we just continually either lose or concede last-minute goals. So uh, at least I stayed true to form at West Brom on, uh, on Saturday. It was a great away day there, so, uh, so thank you for shepherding me around the good bars of Birmingham. Pleasure, pleasure. Uh, Peter, do you want to give us your Twitter handle? Uh, when was the last time that you saw Wednesday win away? Because I, I imagine it's probably more recently than, uh, than, than James. Yeah, my Twitter handle is uh, at P-L-O-E-H-M-A-N-N. Uh, and uh, it's a bit of a touchy subject, my, my record. Um, if we look at games in the, in the championship, I've been to, uh, to 16 games in the championship. I've seen us win two of those games um, and three draws and 11 losses. Um, mm. And my, my away record is, is even worse. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was there when, when we lost 3-5 at, uh, at Peterborough. Um, I was there when we lost two three to um to to United at Bramall Lane. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, I was there last season at the at the QPR game, the 2-4 uh, loss. Um, uh, I was there when we started the season losing 4-1 at, uh, at Ipswich. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've I've seen a lot okay. of. Uh, I've, I've actually, yeah, that's it's not it's not really present. <laughs> I'm, I'm There's a just reason gonna, I don't get <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to ban you both from going to any more away games, and then um, chances are, you know, we'll be in the Premier League within a couple of years. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at James Marriott. Thank you for your company. Let us have your thoughts, your feedback, and of course your questions for the next episode of Owls About Stats and we will speak to you in a few weeks.